1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Kevin Nolan. Kevin is partner in Nolan Consulting Group. He's also the owner of Nolan Painting, the largest privately owned employee-based residential painting company in the United States. That means there are no subcontractors, strictly employees. He's also author of the forthcoming book called Organizational Muscle. Kevin, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Now, before we get into all the hardcore business content and whatnot, tell us your fun fact.
2: My fun fact is that I ran a marathon, 26.2 miles, in all of the 50 states of the United States of America.
1: That is amazing. How many marathons have you done total? I'm guessing it's more than just 50.
2: Yeah, about 65, I believe.
1: Unbelievable. So I don't even want to do the math. 65 times 26.2. That's that just hurts my brain, much less my that All the training. Yes. Yes. That's insane. Oh my gosh. Right. So we know you have the endurance to get through this interview and just lots of energy from start to finish. This is going to be a cakewalk compared to that kind of a marathon. This is a sprint. So let's hit the ground running. Tell us a little bit about Nolan painting and you tell us your elevator pitch.
2: Yes, well, so Nolan Painting is a residential painting company with 150 amazing people um, operating in Southeastern Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, all of our employees are friendly and competent and really anxious to please. We provide amazing customer service through our Nolan Painting promise, which is that we'll start and finish on time, maintain a neat, clean project, handle all the details, stand behind the work, and that we'll pledge an assurance of high quality. Isn't that refreshing from a contractor? And we need it. <laughs> We definitely mean it as well.
1: Yes, that's awesome. Friendly and professional and whatever else. I think that uh, needs to be a standard for far more, but so glad to hear that it is a core value of, of everything that you're doing. What's your favorite part of your job and why?
2: Well, I mean, I love my job and, and if there's anything about it, I don't love it. I sure change it. So I do love it. But basically being the leader of a winning team, you know, when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and hitting our numbers and getting those customer reviews and we're a winning team, which we are. It's just really, really rewarding. And then navigating a lot of the challenges, particularly the challenges over the last few years uh, with a team. And then I'm also heavily involved in succession planning, hmm. which will be developing people for the, the next generation that are going to be running the company after I move on. And then most recently, I've written a book called Organizational Muscle. Hmm. which has been a lot of fun. So yeah, I have a lot of fun in my job. There's no question about it.
1: It sounds like it. It sounds like you've got your hands in a lot of pots or a lot of paint cans, perhaps, as the...
2: (laughs) Not so much. More like a business owner, but I got a lot of people with their hands in paint pots. Yes,
1: metaphorically, at least. So then in doing all of this, what's one of the big issues of the day? And how do you have to adjust your approach when you personally are talking to different key stakeholder groups about it?
2: The big issue is, and it's really been the issue always, but it seems to be really more over the last five or so, 10 years, is is really just getting talent. I mean, mm. everybody talks about it all the time, hiring talent, hiring people. We need, I mean, to grow an organization that's based on people, That's we're not a business that sells a product per se. We provide a service and it's about people and getting the right people. And that has always been the challenge. And it's really more now than ever. I think the demographics have changed over the last five or so years, 10 years. You know, millennials, which represent entry-level positions for us, are aging out of that. And the next generation is not as populated. So there's going to be less people in these entry-level positions for the painters that I'm looking to hire. And of course, we're always looking for leadership talent. And that's a challenge that I think all companies are always looking to, you know, to build is talent in the organization. And so, yeah, so we're always out there recruiting, selling our services, selling our business proposition and selling our mission to both attract customers, which is always important, but also to attract employees, really just trying to practice the law of attraction, which is to attract people to your organization. And it's kind of how we came together, the law of attraction, right? We both saw um, opportunities to work with each other. And yes. So, that's,
1: so you mentioned your mission. What is can you can you rattle that off? Is that uh, off the top of your head? What is your mission?
2: I can rattle it off. It's to preserve and protect services and relationships. It's to provide the utmost in a professional painting in a prompt, friendly, honest manner. It's to enjoy the benefits of a job well done, and to be the best in the business. So Beautiful. it's kind of lyrical, but that's it. And it seems to fit. We wrote it about twenty-five years ago. A group of engaged employees and myself got together and. And there's a lot to it. I won't break it down and bore sure. everybody with it. But you know the the fundamental pieces are the kind of the last two, which is enjoy the benefits of a job well done, and then to be the best in the business. Everybody sort of understands that. And to us, that means having fun at what we're doing and enjoying what we're doing and being proud of the work that we do. Enjoying yes. the benefits of a job well done, and then to be the best in the business. And so we do think we're the best in the business. And I try not to be arrogant when I think of that or conceited. I think more in terms of that is a level that we're trying to achieve every day to be the best. Yes. And that really every day you have to get up and do it again. Like you can't rest on any laurels about being the best yesterday. It's about being the best today, being your best self, being the best company we can be. So there's plenty of challenges in that. To keep us motivated, and
1: I think that's an important point of distinction: is the confidence versus arrogance line, and where, especially as a business owner, it's not about an arrogance, I'm better than you, et cetera. But if you don't strive to be the best at what you do, then you're not striving to give your clients the best which is what they deserve. And if we're not aiming for that then why on earth would they hire us if they didn't believe that they wanted if they wanted the best. I want people to come to me when they want the best. You want people to come to you when they want the best, not when they're looking for something mediocre and half baked. It doesn't make any Absolutely. sense. Absolutely.
2: Well, I mean, I always tell people, my employees, you know, people pay us a lot of money to paint their house. We have to be awesome. Yes. We have to be better than they could do it, better than another person could do it. We have to be the best experience that they've ever had at this. And incidentally, if that's the case, and it is the case, then we'll be lifelong providers to them. They will hire us for the rest of their lives. They won't go anywhere else Yes, because they they found the best, they found the best value, and that's what they want. And so that's what we're trying to deliver every day.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now, let's go back to the hiring and talent acquisition in the efforts of identifying hiring and retaining the right people? Who are different stakeholder groups that you have to talk to in doing this?
2: When we're looking to hire painters, we're looking to hire typically young people who have no experience and high school students or just out of high school, possibly still living at home, mostly still living at home. So we're looking to, to talk to them and offer them opportunities and fun and maybe to learn. And we're also looking to talk to their parents and provide a benefit and pay package that they think makes sense for their child. So they might say, go out and learn a skill and take an opportunity that they have presented to them to become a painter and look at the pay is $20 an hour and there's great benefits and a 401k plan and look, they have fun. So, so we're looking to have um, their parents also push them out the door and push them in our direction.
1: That's so yeah, so there's two It's funny because a lot of people have talked about intergenerational dynamics in HR and in in leadership and what do different generations want as far as what they what would make a job attractive for them, what makes them happy and loyal. But nobody has ever talked about generations insofar as I need to talk to my prospective employees' parents, and I gotta get the parents on board. What do you find is most different about convincing the prospective employee, the 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 17-year-old even perhaps, that what are they looking for? And when you then have that conversation with the parents, how do you even find the parents? I mean, you're, you're going to the house or is it, uh, how do they even get in front of you?
2: Yeah, one of our approaches is to visit high schools. And partner with high schools. Um, we actually partner with 22 high schools in Southeastern Pennsylvania in targeted areas because there's a lot of high schools. Sure. So what we're doing is we are involved in those schools with sponsoring activities, sponsoring events, and obviously the typical way of like job fairs and meeting with guidance counselors. But for, for these venues, we, we look to talk to students in a look at the fun we have, look at the other young people you'd be working with, look at the reputation and the team that you'd become a part of. And then for the parents, it's really what you're going to offer. Is this a legitimate job? Is there good pay? Are there good benefits? You know, is the company legitimate? Does it stand for something? And so, you know, those are more bullet points. Parents see the bullet points of what it is to work for Nolan Painting. And the, the kids see the experiences and what it might be like to work for Nolan Painting. So we're just careful not to blur the lines between the two because we don't think that young people want to see the bullet points as much as they want to think about what the experiences will be
1: like. Interesting. All right, so we're having a conversation with the employee and the parent. That's a new one. I'm marking this on the calendar. And with that then... I think, you know what, this is a good opportunity since we're talking about challenging younger people and getting them to think outside the box a little bit more thinking of their experience. Let's give our audience an experience. Let's talk about the listener 24-hour influence challenge. So this is, Kevin, I'm going to invite you to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today?
2: I love it because, at the you know, really what it comes down to is this exercise is so important and getting people to do it, it seems to be so hard, but it's really not. And you can do it in 24 hours and it will change your life. And here it is. It's called write your primary aim. Okay. Okay. So basically what you want to do is you want to write the primary aim you have in life. Okay. Not specifically your business or your career, but your whole life. Because your business and your career are a part of it, so you're going to mention that. But you want to write your primary aim around what you want out of life. And the way to do it is through a letter. You're writing yourself a letter, a page, page and a half letter to yourself as if you were a friend or you can write it, you can pretend it's to a friend, but you're writing it to yourself and it's going to be date certain in the future, any date at all. I mean, usually, you know, one, three, five years or some good dates, but you could pick your birthday. You could pick, I'm going to give an example in a minute. It's July 4th. You could pick a date that is certain Okay. and then project yourself into the future and ask yourself, what do I want in my life? What do I want in my career? What do I want to be doing day to day? What do my activities look like? What do I eat? How do I sleep? How's my physical health? These are all really important aspects of your life. And you have control over them, whether you know it or not, mm. mostly by projecting them into the future and then heading to them directionally. So on this date certain, I'm going to give share the example of the first paragraph of one I wrote a couple of years ago. And this is Thursday, July 4th, 2024. I'm up in my cabin this morning. It's Independence Day or almost. It's down to less than 90 days until I leave Nolan Painting as CEO. Today is one of those golden Whitney Lake days. I'm gonna run, stand up paddleboard, fish, ride a bike, hike, and drink some beer this weekend. <laughs> I weigh 177 pounds and I'm in great health. My book is selling well, and I'm having speaking engagements lined up. Life is good, and I go on and on. And you know, I go on for a page or two talking about various aspects of my life, what I've been into. I might be talking about some hobbies that I'm taking up, because as I'm transitioning, I want to take up some hobbies. I talk about maybe some other activities that are going to fill my day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a, a number of these, literally a dozen or more over the last few years. And I sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they connect, whereas the date is over and I write a new one that next day. But I do have a couple of them running. And some some of them have been very instructive to me about what I want to do with my life and sometimes what I don't want to do with my mm-hmm. life. Sometimes when I've written down something and then thought about it, it's almost as if it was happening and I say to myself, no, I don't really want that. Mm. Um, I don't really want to do that. I I think I'm going to stop thinking and talking about that and I'm going to write another primary aim where that's not part of my life.
1: So it's really a kind of an opportunity to envision the future and work towards manifesting it.
2: Absolutely. And live deliberately, yes. deliberately, doing things deliberately because that's what you want. So if in fact, just give an example. At one point I wanted to open up a second office in Maryland and for a year or two, I was driving back and forth to Maryland and I had the second office opened and I was driving back and forth and it's two hours each way. And at one point, all of a sudden I decided I didn't want that anymore. You ever had that feeling where, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. So we, we had, once I, once the passion was gone for me, it was over. I couldn't continue since that time period. Everything like that, I've been doing first in a fictionalized way, the way you described it. I manifested on paper and then try to manifest it in my life. And I've found that I've been able to avoid a lot of those scenarios that I just mentioned where I'm doing something that I don't really want to do and I don't know why I did it, but I thought I wanted to do it.
1: Mm.
2: So it's about being really abundantly clear in what you want in life and then to be deliberate about it. I
1: forget who it was. I just heard a quote, Maybe a week ago, cannot remember who it was that said it, but that discipline is knowing what you want.
2: Absolutely. Yep.
1: Period. So, all right, everybody, that sounds like a fun exercise to write yourself a letter on what your day is going to look like. Let's say three Do it years. now.
2: Do yeah. it now. Look at it again tomorrow. Make, a, make an edit or two. Give yourself a night. Sleep on it one night. Make an edit or two, and then publish it to yourself and maybe to some significant others just a few people, not a lot, a close friend, something like that, and then start to test it out on paper before you test it out on life.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. What an inspirational uh, opportunity there. All right. So these are some successes that you've had along the way, both in, in business development and life manifesting overall. And it's exciting to hear, by the way, more and more of that succession planning that you keep alluding to. And we'll chat about that in a little while. But what's a communication-related mistake that you've made at some point? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like?
2: Well, the first thing that comes to mind was a a very disruptive event in my life. So I'd been doing some communicating, some public speaking, certainly to my own company, then to my trade association. And one day I asked my business manager who'd come along with me and I said, hey, could you do me a favor and could you just write down every time I say, um, or ah, just anything that doesn't look like it belongs in the sentence. That's a mannerism I knew I had. I'd heard about it from some people. You say, um, a little bit too much. Anyway, after a 40-minute presentation, I think it was on marketing to my trade association, he gave me the results. There was a 145 ums wow. and ahs. He had made hash marks. Mm. And he actually said, to be honest with you, I lost count somewhere along the way after about 30 or 40 minutes. And I thought, three times a minute? I'm saying um or ah, three times a minute in my conversation? That would be clearly would be a problem. I'd wished I'd done something like that earlier because I hadn't been aware that it was a problem. And I'd already been talking to my groups. I'd been talking to my teams for a long time. And now I was going to get a chance to do something about it. So I immediately joined Toastmasters. So okay. at the age of 40, I joined Toastmasters. And became an excellent student in communication. And over the course of two years, I became a certified Toastmaster. And by the way, I still say um and ah, not as much as I used to. I'm more aware of it. It's not a crutch. It's part of everybody's conversation. And I'm not going to be obsessed with removing it, but I do feel way more comfortable talking in front of people. I feel way more comfortable composing the way I communicate with people. And I learned so much. So I wished that I had become a student of communication 10 or 20 years earlier.
1: Yeah. And
2: I was probably one of the older people in that group, but I had so much fun. And incidentally, I, when we were talking last week, I mentioned to you, i would learned how to do really, really well in a presentation. And I came up with a formula, one hour of preparation for every one minute of presentation. Oh my goodness. So a lot of Toastmasters speeches are like 10 minutes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: that's manageable, 10 hours of preparation for a 10-minute speech. Now, if you had an hour presentation, it could become problematic. But it, it does really let you know that that's what it takes. You have mm-hmm. to prepare. You have to prepare what you're going to say. You have to prepare how you say it. You have to say it over and over and get very comfortable. And I found that if I put in one hour per one minute, that I won the speaker of the day ribbon.
1: I bet you would. That's a lot of prep.
2: Yeah. And so nine out of 10 speeches, I was the speaker of the day and I won the ribbons and I took the, the lessons with me and I've used them ever since.
1: Toastmasters is a really great opportunity more than anything else to the extent that someone needs to practice in front of a real audience. I, you know, I know in coaching, that's the one thing that I can't give my clients If the fear of the audience, the need to get a lot to read a live audience, whether it's five people or 20 people or however many people are in the chapter, just that opportunity to see real faces, I will always encourage them to. And and they're very
2: friendly faces. They, yes, it's, it's like, that's the way they do it is they be friendly. They give you friendly feedback and you can use that feedback because you take it in a really comfortable way. And by the way, they run a great one hour meeting. And you learn how to be a Toastmaster because that's one of the roles that you'll take in your process, you'll be the Toastmaster
1: mm. and you'll
2: you'll learn how to run an amazing meeting that starts on time and finishes on time. So
1: speaking of that starting on time, finishing on time, those administrative duties and keeping people focused and on task of the Toastmaster, that sounds like a lot of accountability. So what is an approach that you have used to address an accountability issue with someone on your team?
2: Well, usually it's a direct conversation trying to avoid beating around the bush and trying to avoid, you know, different passive aggressive behaviors, really just to be direct and friendly with someone so they could take feedback if it's needed in a friendly way. And so, yeah, so I've gotten quite good at that. I've gotten quite good at having these crucial conversations with people And I think my role now is to teach other people how to have crucial conversations Mm -hmm. because it is so hard for people to confront, you know, confrontation is confrontation has like a negative connotation Sure, because it feels like people are going to be uncomfortable. And so I try to help people be comfortable in these crucial conversations. How do you do that? How,
1: do you, how would you take right? a trainee, a field manager, something like that, and train them to engage in these difficult conversations, in these confrontations so without being it usually, confrontational?
2: It, yeah, it usually comes down to knowing exactly what the outcome that you want to be, knowing what that is. So what do you want to say? And how do you want to say it? So knowing that beforehand, before you're going to have this feedback opportunity or crucial conversation, knowing exactly what you're trying to achieve out of
1: it. Can you give us an example of a a specific case without naming names, of course, you know whether it was a couple of years ago or however long, but what was it like? What kind of advice did you give that particular person? What was he or she wrestling with? And what advice did you give them in that moment? Can you give us a little snippet of that dialogue?
2: I'll give you an example of how I would give someone feedback or how I've given someone feedback.
1: Yeah, how did you give them feedback? On, let's use the actual on example.
2: Being, on, let's say being late every day. I'm being okay. late to work, which is a really classic one because people, lots of people are late. It tends to frustrate the people that are early and sure. it can easily blow up into more than it needs to be. Right. So yeah. I'll talk to somebody who's late and I would, give this, I would do this in front of somebody who was trying to learn how to give feedback. So I, by the way, the first thing I always do is I always write down what I want to say. Hmm. Even if it's just a simple conversation, I take out a white pad and I just write down the three things that I'm trying to say. I write them out and then I say them. So I, I know what I want to say. I'm, I'm clear in that. Then I tend to stick to the script. Okay. I don't want to go off the script because that's where I can get in trouble. So Joe, I see that you're being, that you've been late a lot lately is there something wrong? Joe explains that, no, he's got a lot going on. There's been a lot of traffic. He's struggling to get here on time. We start early in the morning. It, you know, Seven o'clock is hard to get for him. I, well, why is it hard for you to, to get here at seven in the morning? I don't know. I suppose I'm, I go to bed too late or I'm not prepared enough in the morning to get here. Or I don't leave early enough. I'll say, Joe, I need you to be here on time. Everybody else on the team is here on time. Don't you agree that being on time is part of being a good employee? The answer is going to be yes, because that's the answer. Anything else in that is not going to work. I have to tell you, if you can't make it here on time, you can't work here anymore. So I need you to be here on time going forward. Is that something you're willing to commit to? I need the person to admit that you're going to commit to that. Just very straightforward, very friendly. I'm not trying to basically hash a lot of past details. I'm just trying to be very clear in what I'm trying to achieve, which is this person has to understand that if they're not going to show up on time, they're going to have to forfeit this job. Hmm. Now, by laying that out in a very clear way, the next time you have to confront this with this individual, we know what has to happen. Both parties know this does not have to turn into an adversarial situation. The choice has been made by the employee on their behavior choices on what's going to happen.
1: And what I appreciate about what you laid out, I mean, it is straight to the point. There's no sugarcoating. There's no buffering. There's no compliment sandwich, as people like to say, starting and ending with it. You know, whether you chose to say, you know, you're a great painter. We really appreciate your work. You do the, can you add that or not edit. But where you identified the problem, you were completely objective and fact-based, in what you share. Look, this is when we start. You come at this time. Those don't match. This is a requirement. It's just it's in the contract, it's in the you know our mission statement, it's in whatever else it happens to be. Fact, fact, fact. And the evaluation that you shared is the evaluation of the behavior, not an evaluation of the person, not you're lazy, you're sloppy. Why aren't you committed? You're not ascribing any sort of judgment on the person. It's simply a matter of we need X. Can you provide X? If you can provide X, great. It's a fit. If you can't provide X, okay. Still love you, still appreciate you, still, you know, happy to. You know, wish you good luck, well. Good luck and have a great life. Yes, yeah. yes, no ill yeah. feelings, but we need X. That's simply well, not I'll part often, of the exchange. How
2: often and you mentioned it, I mean, I'll say a few other things. I'll soften as much as possible. I'll explain that, you know, everybody's late from time to time. And I once had a business coach, and this is true, I once had a business coach that told me that the only excuse for being late is poor planning. Mm. Meaning I didn't plan. So traffic, you have to plan for traffic. Okay. So you have to leave early enough to take into consideration traffic. So, and you have to go to bed early enough and you have to lay your clothes out and you have to make your lunch ahead of time. Whatever planning has to happen, if it doesn't happen, then lateness can occur. And uh, once I sort of understood the accountability factor of it, I stopped being late.
1: Yep. Yep. And it's, it's a question of what's the exception versus what's the rule. You know, if you're regularly late, it's not really a traffic problem. You never know when there's gonna be a tractor trailer pile up on the highway and whatever else and everybody's nobody's moving for two hours. Okay.
2: A we, little hard to if out. you relate once in a while, we wouldn't even be talking. Right. We wouldn't have an issue.
1: Right. Yep. When it becomes rule yeah. versus exception, then that's that's definitely a it. point of inflection. Let's let's go to that Let me try that in English. Let's go back to that topic of succession planning that you've mentioned a number of times. So in looking for either your successor, as it sounds like you're looking to be ready for retirement in a couple of years, and you, of course, want the legacy of Nolan Painting to continue and grow as it were. So In looking for your successor, if it's, well, let's say, I don't know if you're looking for someone internal or external, but if someone internally were looking to be able to rise to that position, aside from their, of course, technical expertise, perhaps in in their job, what's one skill they have to demonstrate to you to show that they could step into Kevin's shoes?
2: One skill, huh? It's tough, but I would say probably the learning, the ability and the desire to be a lifelong learner. I mean, that was the game changer for me was the fact that I needed to be a lifelong learner because ultimately you need people to bring ideas. The world is going to change going forward and a lifelong learner is going to be prepared for that.
1: How would somebody demonstrate that to you?
2: Well, it's what they intellectually ingest and how how I hear about it or how it becomes, you know, uh, apparent. Okay.
1: So what's evidence that they could show you so that, you know oh, know I that listened to a heard.
2: podcast the other day. I read this book the other day. I read this article the other day. You know, something that indicates that they were using their brain to learn, not so, to necessarily be entertained by, you know, I, I'm always chastening my, my managers because they might be listening to sports talk radio or something like that. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not making you any smarter. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but I basically need them to be lifelong learners. They need to be reading books and bringing ideas to the table because, like I said, the world's going to change. And that's been my modus operandi, is to learn, 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 and teach, teach, teach. So I need to see that in the next gen, that they are ready to learn the next skill, they're ready to learn the next idea, and they're going to share it.
1: It's so important for leaders to be able to operationalize to say, what kind of evidence would I need to see to recognize that, yes, this person is doing that or not? Because you don't know what somebody learns. You don't know what somebody understands. You don't know what someone's mindset is unless it's conveyed. So I'm really hearing that a big part of the behavior pattern that someone who aspires to a higher role needs to share is proactively offering to that leader And not in like a book report, high school, you know, requirement homework kind of way, but just as natural part of conversation every now and then letting people know, what are you listening to? What podcasts are you listening to? What books are you reading? What, you know, webinars or seminars did you attend or conferences or what's a nugget that you learn from somebody to demonstrate? And it's not so that they can keep track of you, but just so in the back of your mind, in the back of their mind, they realize that you are constantly aspiring to more you're looking for more personal development professional development business development that you're always expanding you're always curious you're always seeking to grow in one way shape or form that is relevant to this job the the need to proactively share you can't expect the boss the ceo the svp of whatever to say so did you learn anything new this week that's not going to happen but somehow you need to just Drop little bits. Well, you know, history. in our regular
2: meetings, we'll have a meeting where we're all looking at a situation or a problem that needs to be resolved yep. or dealt with. A lot of times it has to do with scaling. Like as you scale mm-hmm. your business up, you know, what worked when you were a smaller company now doesn't always work. Sure. So now we need new ideas and new concepts. And I mean, you you said books. We do have book clubs. We do have book clubs where we expect, I mean, not a formal book report, but I. If I give somebody a book, I do expect them to read it. If they expect to move up sure. and take leadership roles, because a lot of these books that I might share with them are part of our fundamental value system, the way mm. they were developed. And so, if if you blow off me when I ask you to read, um, I don't know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, then you're probably not a highly effective person. So, you know, I have to be judgmental because I am looking for talent. Sure, so I have to I have to find it. And if I, think, if I think somebody is receptive to this learning mentality, then I, I know they're going to get the ideas once they get their brain working. I know they're going to have the ideas it's going to take to get the company to the next level, and maybe the next level without me being here. Right. So you you really need
1: to make sure that it's (laughs) it's, Yes, of course. And I think the I want to make sure that people aren't accidentally misinterpreting that word about being judgmental. You know, you it's not about judging the person as a good or bad person. I think the word judgmental tends to have a negative connotation to it. But the fact is you do have to evaluate. That's the whole point. You're ultimately going to make a decision about who will be your personal successor, not just yet another leader in the company at a manager, director, VP, whatever level, but they're going to take take your seat literally they're yes. going to take your role. you're judging and
2: I mean evaluating judging i guess they're maybe they're synonyms but when i say that i mean their work product. Yes. What they do as a work person. Yeah and their work um, ethic. Yeah we're not judging their lifestyle mm-hmm. you know we're not judging them away from work. Sure. We're judging what the work person that shows up the behavior that shows up. Yeah. And we are definitely evaluating and slash judging that and then determining raises, promotions, opportunities, or whether maybe we're wasting our time. This individual doesn't want it as much as I want it for them.
1: Yes. If that's yes. the case, then I'm
2: wasting my time,
1: right? And it's good to get clear on that really fast. And it's okay if they don't want it, but let me know because I got to find somebody who does.
2: Exactly.
1: Yep. Love it. Love it. Kevin, this has been such a fun conversation. I'm so sorry. We need to wrap it up. How can people learn more about you and Nolan Painting?
2: You know, as I mentioned to you earlier, I just written a book called Organizational Muscle. It'll actually be published in September of 2023. And you can actually visit my website, organizationalmuscle.com. And you'd be able to see my, out of my blogs and sign up for my blog, which comes out twice a week. And I'd love to have you as a subscriber. And then from there, you'd be able to get a, an idea what the book is going to be like. And hopefully if you are running an organization and want to build strength and muscle in it to endure for the long haul, then you'll buy the book and you'll share it with your people as well.
1: And we'll put your company website in the show notes uh, and whatever you have social media you'd like people to follow.
2: Um, not at this time.
1: <laughs> okay. Not so much, but you're on, so on LinkedIn and I know the company's got the website and whatever else. So there's lots of places to check you out. So we'll put all of that nice and easy for everybody else to follow. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've loved this conversation.
2: Great. Thank you.
1: And to everybody else, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five star rating on Apple podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence presence. And influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide for equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C Suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Socola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal.
0: Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family relationships job or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle no information provided may be suitable in your situation as always take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take including the reactions they may make in your work family health and life